Hello, greetings. Thanks for joining us, and thanks for your interest in spiritual matters. My name's Ethan, and I work with the Venice Church of Christ. We're disciples making disciples on the west side of Los Angeles. In Scripture, there is an almost invisible group of people who proved to be of the greatest importance and support for Jesus while he ministered. Sometimes they're mentioned in the gospel narratives. Sometimes we know more about them than we do about some of the apostles. In many ways, these people are hiding in plain sight. They're present, but they're not often mentioned. They're often neglected in study, preaching, and teaching. And they are the women who followed Jesus. Now, some of these women followed Jesus wherever he went, and they were likely present at all the points during his ministry. In Luke 8 and verse 2, we learn that even some of them financially supported his endeavor. These women were the ones who prepared meals and served food. They watched the Lord Jesus suffer and die on the cross. They saw him buried, and they came back to finish anointing his body on the first day of the week. Many of these women remained with the disciples after Jesus' resurrection, devoted to prayer in Acts 1 and verse 14. And so we do well to learn in the New Testament some things about these female followers of Jesus. And today let's consider Mary and Martha. What do we learn about Mary and Martha from Scripture? What later stories are circulated about them? And what encouragement can we gain from their examples? Now we're first introduced to Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen a good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So Jesus is staying in a certain village with Mary and Martha. Martha invites him in and is busy in preparations, and she's manifesting good hospitality, while Mary sat at the Lord's feet. She listened to his instructions, which can be seen as somewhat scandalous in context. This is normally a privilege of men, uh, as disciples listening to the instruction of their rabbi. That's why Paul will say he sat at the feet of Gamaliel. In Acts 22 and verse 3. Now Martha is likely exasperated because she's not getting the help she feels she needs, and she asks if Jesus cares that Mary's left her with all the serving work, and she's expecting him to tell her to help serve. Now, this is a very eminently sensible frustration and concern. You know, Jesus and his disciples would be quite the retinue. It would take a lot of work to serve them all. It's not an unreasonable request, and let's be honest, if we were Martha, we'd probably ask the same thing. Also, it's important to note that that kind of statement, do you not care, Lord, shows a familiarity with Jesus. Um, we wouldn't dare say something like that to him unless we had a close relationship with him. Jesus still gently chides Martha. She's anxious and troubled about many things, he says. But Mary's chosen the one needful thing, and it won't be taken from her. And that's why it's important for us not to miss the main point of this episode. It's the importance of sitting at Jesus' feet over the daily concerns of life, and the fact that equal access is granted to the feet of Jesus, but to women, just as much as men. Jesus did not find Mary to be importunate. She had as much standing and right to sit at his feet as anyone else did. Mary is commended for sitting at Jesus' feet and hearing his instruction, and Martha would do well to allow her to do so. Now, you could understand Jesus insinuating that Martha should sit and listen as well, but at the same time, the service does need to be done. And so it's best to see that Jesus is telling Martha to relax and not be so concerned about it. Not that it shouldn't be done. 
The next time we meet Martha and Mary is in John chapter 11 and chapter 12. In John chapter 11, in verse 1, we read, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Now you notice just in that verse, we're introduced to them in a familiar way, as if we should already know whom uh, Mary and Martha are. We're told in verse 2, It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. It's very interesting that this episode is mentioned here, because in the Gospel of John, we don't see it until chapter 12, verses 1 through 7. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for three hundred denarii and given to the poor? He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And he used to help, and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus says, Leave her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. The poor you may you will always have with me, but you do not always have me. So in this account, we see that the, they're in Bethany, which is n- not too terribly far from Jerusalem. There's been this dinner set up after all these things have taken place, and Lazarus has gone through the recovery that we're about to see him go through. And we see that Mary takes this appoint- ointment, and she anoints Jesus' feet with it. Uh, this is also talked about in Mer- Matthew and Mark, in Matthew 26 and Mark 14. Uh, in those accounts, we're not told the name of the woman. She's unnamed. It takes place in the house of Simon the leper. He considers it an anointing for burial. And in Matthew and in Mark, Jesus will go on to say that this deed that she did would be spoken uh, whenever the gospel was preached. That um, Mary would receive this uh, recognition that she was the one who anointed his feet for burial. Now, this anointment is worth 300 denarii. It's notoriously hard to try to make that an equivalent in our money today. But a denarius is the money an average laborer would make for a day's wage. So we can think of somebody's salary, the average salary for 10 months or so, and then increase its buying power, and that's what 300 denarii is. It's a fairly significant amount of money, well out of the reach of the average Jewish person. We also will see that Lazarus has a tomb uh, that's like a cave tomb in John 11:38. So these people are of means and wealth that you know, Martha and Mary aren't nobodies, so to speak. They have some standing and, and some wealth in society. It's also interesting to note that Martha serves. Again, it kind of provides continuity with Luke chapter 10. And what's more interesting, of course, about this, um, beyond the fact that Mary is willing to do this great act of service to Jesus, to serve him in the most humiliating act of washing feet. You know, John 13, uh, the disciples will cringe when Jesus would wash their feet. And this is the great act of humble service. And as I have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. And it's also important for us to remember that about Mary. Mary does, you know, serve Jesus in the most humiliating way. So it's not that Mary is immune or allergic to serving. Uh, It just depends on the context. Uh, and that's important. But it's interesting that, of course, John would forecast this in chapter 11 and verse 2 when it hasn't happened in his account, which likely suggests to us that he's expecting his audience to already be familiar with Martha and Mary because of stories most likely from these other Gospels. 
And so when we return to chapter 11, though, to see what's going on before all of this conundrum, we see that they have um, sent to Jesus in verse 3 because Lazarus is ill. And um, we're told, in, in, as the passage continues in verse 5, that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And um, so there's this uh, connection here. There's this deep relationship, most likely, in fact. We're told that Jesus loves Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and there's a very strong relationship with them, as we're going to see. Now, Jesus, of course, is aware of Lazarus' situation, but he delays. He doesn't go immediately, allowing him to die so that God will be glorified. And so, in the meantime, Lazarus does die, uh, has been dead for some time, in fact. And in verse 20, Jesus has come. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But whatever, but even now I know, excuse me, that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. So there's this complete confidence in Jesus. We, we can see this as an upbraiding. If you had been here, he wouldn't have died. That kind of attitude. But even the idea... If you had been here, you wouldn't have died. It's a statement of faith that Jesus could have done something about it to keep him alive, to heal him of the illness. Jesus, in response, says, Your brother will rise again in verse 23. Martha responds, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day, in verse 24. Now, we're going to see what Jesus actually means when he says that the bro- his bro- her brother will rise again. But we shouldn't look down on Martha for her comment. We shouldn't think that she's somehow uh, ignorant or unlearned. In fact, uh, interestingly, in the entire gospel, no one speaks more clearly about faithful Jewish expectation based on what you would read in the prophets other than Martha in John 11 and verse 24. Uh, in Daniel 12, 1 and 2, the Old Testament did look forward to a day of resurrection, but it's the final resurrection, that on the final day there would be a resurrection of life and a resurrection of condemnation. Same type of thing Jesus talked about earlier in John 5, 28 and 29. There would be no basis upon which in, in the Old Testament to automatically assume that there would be a resurrection of one or some people before that final day of resurrection. So it's important to see here, even, that Martha might have been the one doing all the serving work, but she's not a theological slouch. She's not left to be ignorant and unlearned. She actually is quite up on her theology. She's no theological slouch. Jesus will then go on, though, and say, I am the resurrection, the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And notice how she answers. Yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Again, this is something most extraordinary. Peter confesses Jesus to be the Holy One of God in John 6, 68 and 69. But the fullest confession you'll find in the Gospel of John, the very same words that John will use at the end of his Gospel, in chapter 20, 30, and 31, about the purpose of his Gospel, uh, that you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, only Martha is the one who confesses it exactly that way. And it's from a woman. And we need not wonder if Martha ever stopped to listen to Jesus in the midst of her serving. She most assuredly did. And manifests a very strong faith in who Jesus is and what he was about. Even though she has seen less than other disciples. So after this point, Mary summons Martha. And uh, she said to her in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And uh, Mary goes to Jesus. She, uh, Jesus hadn't come to the village yet, so Mary goes out. 
And uh, we're told in verse 32, she falls at his feet and says to him, Worship, Lord, if you had not been here, my brother would not have died. Same confidence that Martha had. And she's weeping in lamentation in verse 33. And he asks where, she's laid, where they've laid him. And so they take him to that tomb. And Jesus weeps. And um, maybe it's for the death of Lazarus. Or, or it's just even just seeing all the grief that Lazarus' death has caused. Yes, God will be glorified in this. But at, at the same time, his friends are going through this duress. And so Jesus asks to move the stone. But Martha tells him it's, uh, there will be a stink by this time. He's been dead for four days in verse 39. Now, and Jesus does remind her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would, not, you would see the glory of God? Um, you could see him as upbraiding Martha. The comment Martha makes is supposed to remind the reader of the body's condition. And this really makes it clear how amazing Lazarus' raising was. It also shows that she's not expecting Jesus to raise him from the dead at this point. And, of course, in verses 41 through 44, that's exactly what happened. That uh, Jesus prayed, Jesus told Lashes come out, and uh, he came out and he was told to be unbound. And uh, the weeping at that moment was turned to joy. Now, that is all we read about Mary and Martha in Scripture. Now, Mary, Martha, and Mary were numbered among the women in the upper room of Acts 1 and verse 14. We don't know for certain. We could also reason that whenever Jesus is in Bethany, like in Matthew 21, 17, or in Mark 11, Luke 19, he stays with her, has some interaction with Mary and Martha, but it would be completely speculative to suggest that. We know nothing about what happened to them. If they survived the religious authorities' assault on Lazarus, that we kind of get the impression of in verses 9 through 11 of chapter 12, that they had made plans to put Lazarus to death, assuming they had carried those out. We don't even, we're not even told that. Um... Maybe Mary and Martha were killed as well at the same time, and that's why you don't hear about them. Maybe uh, they survived and main, or maintained themselves as faithful servants of, of, Christ, of, God, of Jesus there in Bethany. Uh, we have no reason to believe otherwise. We, we just don't know. It's left unrecorded. So in Scripture, Mary and Martha are good friends of Jesus. They have a clearly history together that's not been revealed. There's a very intimate association between them. Not, no sexual way, of course, but just as very good friends and, and have a kind of interaction and a kind of rapport that you don't see very often in the Scriptures. But tradition is going to take this in very different directions. Early Christians noted a possible connection between the anointing of Jesus in Matthew 26, Mark 14, and John 12, with the anointing of Jesus by the sinful woman in Luke 7, 36-50. And so Mary of Bethany gets associated with a sinful woman and begins to be seen as a woman with an immoral past. Uh, Pope Gregory the Great would go on to conflate Mary of Bethany and the sinful woman of Luke 7 with Mary Magdalene in his 33rd homily. Now others would associate Mary and Martha with the women bringing spices to Jesus' tomb in Luke 23, 55-24 and verse 2. Now there are various traditions that arose about their faith. Uh, some suggested that Lazarus, Mary, and Martha survived. They fled during the persecution surrounding Stephen. Lazarus ends up as a bishop in Cyprus and that's where they end up. Uh, a later medieval tradition, the Golden Legend, would suggest they end up in the south of France. Part of the whole Mary Magdalene thing. And the composite Magdalene, which would include Mary of Bethany as well. Now, we don't have a lot of reason to accept much in these traditions. The most plausible might be the idea that during the persecution of Stephen, they would have fled to Cyprus. But even then, we could have just as easily imagined Mary, Martha, and Lazarus to have remained faithful Christians in Bethany. There's no scriptural basis that would suggest that we should conflate Mary of Bethany with Mary Magdalene. The Magdalene follows Jesus in his ministry, while Mary of Bethany remains in her village. 
uh, John distinguishes between the two in John 11, 1 versus John 20 in verse 1. Now, the association between maybe the sinful woman of Luke 7 with uh, the anointing by Mary in Matthew 26, Mark 14, and John 12 is more understandable because there's at least a similar behavior involved, the anointing of Jesus' feet. But they do seem to be very different events. Now, there's a very strong association between Matthew 26, Mark 14, and John 12. There's a, the, the event happens. It happens around the same time in the ministry. The disciples have a similar reaction. And Jesus responds to it in a similar way. Luke 7 would take place a lot earlier. You could maybe argue Simon the Pharisee is Simon the leper, but that would itself be another kind of conflation, assuming everybody is the same person. The explanation that Jesus gives, the whole involved speech about um, this woman who has, been, has done much, uh, but has you know demonstrated forgive, uh, repentance, will be forgiven much. But he who you know has repented little will be forgiven little. And how that action is interpreted. The woman is told, go away, your way. You, your sins have been forgiven. While in Luke, in um, Matthew, Mark, and John, these stories are about Mary anointing him for burial. And while well, the commendation is for her that her deed will be spoken of in terms of what she had done as the gospel is spread, there's no association that in so doing she has received forgiveness of sins or that she was even seeking in that action some kind of forgiveness. And so, therefore, it's best to think that there's two different women involved. There's the woman of Luke 7, an unnamed, an otherwise unidentified sinful woman who received forgiveness, uh, demonstrating great penitence in her actions. But that Mary of Bethany is a different person doing a similar act, but for very different reasons, in Matthew, Mark, and John. And therefore, we should not presume anything immoral about the background of Mary of Bethany. So we can see the tradition has perhaps colored Mary especially in an unflattering light, and we need to hold those traditions at bay when we try to understand Mary and Martha. So what are we supposed to make of these two? Well, for various reasons, both Mary and Martha have endured some negative press, but we must not be deceived. They proved faithful friends and disciples of Jesus, highly confident that Jesus is the Son of God. We have no reason to slander Mary as an immoral woman. We should not conflate her with the uh, woman of Luke chapter 7. And also, with Martha, it's been very easy to make her a caricature based on Luke chapter 10 only, and without regard to the strength of the relationship that she has with Jesus, and also her confidence and faith, as we can see in John 11. We need to recognize from the text that both Mary and Martha are very serious disciples of Jesus. Mary sits at Jesus' feet, and she learns from him. She has an awareness to anoint him for, as for burial. Very possible that Mary understands what Jesus is doing even more than his own apostles do. And the fact that he's about to die. And confidence in the resurrection. Martha confesses confidence in the resurrection the final day. Makes a clear, full, and thoroughgoing confession. One we can only compare to Peter's. Everything that we think about Mary and Martha must be understood through this prism. They love Jesus, Jesus loves them, and they have great faith in him. And so we can see how much Mary and Martha are good women disciples, and that they are welcomed by Jesus as full disciples. They are invited to sit at his feet along with male disciples, something rarely heard of otherwise among rabbis in Luke chapter 10. Martha's confession, as we said, is one of the most robust in Scripture in John 11:27, These are intelligent women. And they value their friendship with Jesus. Jesus, in terms, values and esteems them and their friendship and loves them deeply. 
And so, in Christ, women are not to be relegated to doing, quote-unquote, women's work of service to the neglect of understanding the will of God in Christ, and that they should take their place as disciples of Christ of equal standing with men, Galatians 3 and verse 28, that there is, in fact, room at the Savior's feet for women who would learn of him, and they should not be cast out. Now, in Luke 10, 38-42, the reason that story is so powerful with Mary, Martha, and Jesus is because of how ordinary and real it seems. We all can understand Martha. Work needs to be done. Houses need to be kept. Food needs to be prepared. Clothes need to be cleaned. That work has value, and it needs to be done. But yet, as Jesus says, what God provides is the one needful thing. That it is better to sit at Jesus' feet rather than to so busy ourselves with preparations that we neglect to learn of him. And so, in that respect, Martha's every woman. And beyond every woman, every Christian and disciple in this modern age. We're never lacking things we could be doing. There's always more work to do. We're always too busy. But are we giving concern for that one needful thing and to sit at Jesus' feet at times, that we're making sure we've carved out time to learn from Jesus? Another important thing we see from Martha and Mary is that Jesus loved them. Now, granted, Jesus loves everyone. But we can see and read between the lines here that there's a very strong relationship, quite stronger than usual. In Luke 10, verse 40, when Martha just says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve? It's very insolent otherwise. Mary and Martha love Jesus because he is a Christ, the Son of God, and they want to support him in that mission. They have complete confidence that Jesus asks whatever he asks of God. Mary anoints Jesus for burial, a powerful act of service that we don't see any apostle doing. Whereas in this life, We will not be able to enjoy the face-to-face relationship which Mary and Martha enjoyed with Jesus. We do well to love the Lord Jesus like Mary and Martha did, and to be loved by Jesus in a similar way. To do that, we need to have complete confidence that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. We must believe that Jesus gets whatever he asks of God. But do we have the kind of relationship with Jesus in which we can express our frustrations and anxieties without seeming insolent, as he's asked for us to do in 1 Peter 5 and verse 7? Do we have the kind of friendship with Jesus that Mary and Martha did? Because that's what we need to do, that we can also obtain that resurrection. So we've looked at what we can learn of Mary and Martha in Scripture. That they're good friends of Jesus, beloved by him. They're full of faith in him, and they're full disciples. Their lives embody important lessons about what is truly important, and how well we we should be sharing in relationship with the Lord Jesus. And so let us maintain a faith in Jesus similar to that of Mary and Martha, to confess the good confession that Martha confessed and obtain the resurrection of life on the final day. Again, we're so thankful that you've joined us. If you'd like to discuss more uh, regarding Mary and Martha, maybe you'd like to see some other uh, conversations we've had about other women uh, who follow Jesus or uh, other topics. Maybe you'd like to have a Bible study or have a Bible correspondence course or check us out and get to know us a bit better. Maybe you'd want to visit some of our assemblies. You can learn more about us, the Venice Church of Christ, by going online to our website at venicechurchofchrist.org. You can also find us on social media. And if you'd like to contact me personally, uh, you can visit my website at deverbovitae.com. That's www.deverbovitae.com. We again thank you, and we hope you have a great day.